0: and in truth, you know, and I hear those words spirit and in truth. And so many times among us, we're after truth, truth, truth. And I want to tell you what the truth is about your life. Truth, truth, truth. But what we haven't come to understand is the spirit of the person. It's a Hebraicism that Jesus gives. He repeats it twice, spirit and in truth. And worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And for us, truth is really easy because it's black and white. and We like black and whites. But the emphasis is on spirit. So many times in my life, you know, people have come down on others, and I've just said, "Why do you got to be so harsh?" And I think part of the reason is is that I understand, and sometimes I know the backstory when no one else when no one else does. Oh, that neighbor meeting the hurting with an open heart. You know that neighbor. It may be the one that everyone is talking about. It may be the one that seems so callous, so distant from any vestige of faith. It may be the one in your community that seems to have everything all together. But there is still a distance there. And one of the things that I've come to learn is that we all have bruises, lines, hurts, stories. And meeting people here in those places of hurt, can sometimes be the most powerful moments of life. People are always asking at a retreat like this, how did you sleep? How did you sleep, right? You know, for me, coming back from Afghanistan, and for so many of us that do, how we slept really changes, because as we come home, our sleep patterns are changed. I find myself still, a year later, waking up in the middle of the night, startled, not knowing where I am, and sometimes thinking I'm in Afghanistan. An odd noise can... um, can, can, uh, can move me out or even startle me more because rocket attacks oftentimes tended to come in the middle of the of the night. Uh, one time we were sitting on the outside of a pool and, uh, and in my mind, oftentimes you would hear the sirens coming up, letting you know they were incoming. And the larger the base, the less chance there was that the rocket was actually gonna hit anywhere near you or the more it was gonna hit near you that could hit anywhere. Um, but, um, but I remember one time we were in the middle of this pool and uh, and it was a small pool with an enclosure. And in my mind, you know, anything that's an enclosure is the um, is a circumference of the base. And all of a sudden, there's this little kid on uh, you know, on one of those noodles making a sound. And in my mind, immediately, it's rocket attack sirens. And because the pool is so small, my whole mind is telling me there is no way that I'm going to keep from getting hit at this point in time. And so there on my chaise lounge chair with my family around me, I began to make the movement. And then I'm realizing, wait a second, I'm in a pool. I'm in a place of safety. There's no rocket attack. But all of my mind was telling me that I was in a place of extreme danger. Nobody else in the pool, including my family, knew that I was in the midst of panic for a moment. No one. We carry things in terms of our normalcy from day to day that sometimes nobody else understands. Nobody else knows. The reality is, is that God knows. You know, He knows how we're formed and that we're dust. He knows our weaknesses and our hurts was reminded about this. You know, there's that neighbor. And, and sometimes for us, it's just a matter of knowing stories. I was in the midst of a cemetery. Go ahead and hit that next slide. I was in the midst of a cemetery. And, uh, and I'm calling this a cemetery, That Mother. And I was back on the East Coast. And I was walking through a cemetery. And sometimes if you've ever done this, you can learn the story of a community by reading the headstones. Have you ever done that? And as I'm walking down the headstones, you can tell sometimes when pestilence or plague or typhoid or whatever it was hit the town. And I came across this little family plot. And there in this family plot were six children, all of whom had died in the space of a couple of years. 150 years before I stood over the grave. And in the midst of that grave site with five, six children was the name of a mother who had died years after her kids had all been taken from her. And there on that afternoon, I grieved the loss for her, 150 years later, of six children, and found myself wondering what must life have been like for her in that community. I wonder what it had been like for her in the years that followed, you know, to go through all those years having suffered that loss. And among the losses as well were her husband, until the very end, she was the last one finally, finally interred with her children. A hurt for a mom and a great hurt for a community. There 150 years later to be seen. There's a story of, uh, of the woman at the well that we read. And what I would say this is to meet that neighbor, you have to be able to see the hurt. The story of the woman of the well is remarkable. You know, Jesus is actually playing with her. And, uh, and if you were to hear the lines, there's a lot of delight. You can imagine his eyes just dancing as, as they're ribbing each other back and forth. He even tries to push his buttons, but to no avail. You know, there's just no way about it. And he's dancing, you know, hey, you have no water to build. I know I don't have anything to, but if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water, and you never would have had to, 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 to draw again. Give me this water. They're playing, I will. And now the line. Go we'll get your husband. I have no husband. Play, play. And now it change in total. I know. You've had five. And the man that you're with now is not your husband. So many times we read that and we go, yeah, Jesus got her. Yeah, truth, truth, truth. And if that is you, and that's the way it's oftentimes preached, you have missed it. He knows the whole time. And he's drawing her in first with friendship and then with safety. And you're right. You've had no husband. I don't believe for a moment that is the tone of his voice. I know. You've had five. And the man you're with now isn't your husband. To meet that neighbor, you have to be able to see the hurt. Jesus does an interesting thing. And in so many stories, you know, Jesus will tell somebody, go and sin no more. But do you notice in this story, he doesn't say anything like that at all. It's not a word. Not one. And I want to take you back to the culture for a moment. And I want you to think about her hurt. There were only two ways in Jesus' day that you were going to lose your husband. A, your husband died or B, your husband divorced you. You as a woman in that day could not divorce your husband. And the text seems to really intimate that she hasn't lost her five husbands as a result of them dying, but that they've all divorced her. Can you imagine? Five times rejected. Five times each time with a new hope and each time rejected. Every single time. Until you're so desperate for care. So desperate for it. That, uh, that somebody takes you in. And you are living with him. Outside of the bounds. You're the marked woman in the town now. And to Jesus, he's marked her for something else though. He's marked her for care. Because he understands the her. As a pastor, and I know Paul's this way too, the interesting thing about where we are is we know the stories. And know the stories of of hurt and of grief. And sometimes they are our own stories. And so what I would say is to meet that neighbor, you must see the hurt. But also to do this, to meet that neighbor, here's what we have to understand. Hurt comes in layers. It doesn't all come at once. It's not a a one-time deal. You must understand that hurt comes... You know, in layers, we become down a path and all of a sudden there's a loss and we feel it and we're trying to deal with it, whether we're in faith or whether we're out of faith, no matter who we are as human beings, this is what we're dealing with. There is that breakup, there is that loss, there is that disappointment, that dream crushed. And so it comes in layers. And how we deal with it sometimes will move us to health, will move us to unhealth, and it may take years before our spirit is finally broken and dashed to the ground. It's not a one-time deal. Lisa kind of reminded us about that in her story, right? It came in layers. It came in layers. You know, and I love that call from the side saying, we love you, Lisa. But so rarely is that the call that cries from the church, we love you. In spite of what you've done, in spite of where you've been, we love you. We forget that this hurt has come in layers. I don't believe that anybody starts out down the line, you know, trying to, um, trying to blow it. Most of us really want to be good people and have a good life, you know. That's, the, that's, that's what I know of people. But sometimes we get off track. And when it comes to coming alongside that friend that's hurting, and maybe the friend that's blown it, what I would say is begin with a heart that's looking for their hurt rather than a heart that's looking for correction. We go to correction so fast. And I would say if you really want to build community and get people that will love and adore not only the master and understand the heart that he has for them, right? Right? You have that heart as well. And maybe that we even begin with winsome um, uh, and fun conversation. I know who you are, but it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to love you anyway. I would say this. Remember that it's taken years for your friend to get into this mess. Years. Sometimes decades. It may take some time to get out, right? But we want you to accept Jesus right now and make all the changes when? Now. Repent. Immediate. Sometimes that movement needs to come in layers, you know, as I peel off the, you know, the skin, right? Sometimes it needs to happen that way. Remember, it may have taken years for your friend to get into that mess. It may take some time to get out. Remember this too, that the presenting issue in your mind, the presenting issue in your mind may not be the first issue, and it may not even be the main issue. We look at people and there's, uh, there's the issue of adultery. There's the issue of addiction. There's the issue of anger. There's the issue of adolescent behavior. There's the issue of clinical depression. And the issues go on and on in terms of what we want to look at and what we see. But that may not be the first or even the main issue. That may be a later symptom. As a pastor, so many times people want me to go after the presenting issue. Bam! Go after that. And I'm thinking, hmm, wait a second. What's the deeper issue? Where is it that the heart has been broken and needs, uh, and needs care? Now I'm going to digress for a moment and just say this. Now if you are that neighbor that somebody is approaching... Let me encourage you this way to say that, um, that if you are that neighbor, trust that the intentions of your brothers and sisters as they approach you, trust their intentions, even if their results have hurt you. How many times have you ever been hurt by somebody trying to approach you, right? In care. I have very early, early in my ministry um, and in my marriage to my wife, You know, the group of leadership in our church were this group of elders, you know, and and we had a difficulty and I went and took it to the elders because the idea is, is one of you sick? Is one of you hurting? You should take it to the elders and they should what? They should pray. You know what their response was? Who sinned? You or your wife? And on top of that, decided, well, you know what? We're not sure we want him around. There was no sin. It was just our hurt. From that point on in my life, the word elder was a dirty word. I hated it. And if anybody came to me and said they're an elder in the church, I was automatically ready just to turn them off. Because I'd been so hurt by people that I had trusted with such a deep, deep thing. Years later, though, I'm just realizing this that you know people have good intentions and sometimes it goes all amok. And I don't in the same way that I don't want to be written off. I don't want to write people off. Shiloh Richardson was one of my old students. And, uh, you know, and and she was just all over the place, you know, in terms of good behavior, bad behavior, you know? She was the person that was like, are you gonna make it, or are you gonna fall apart? You know, she was the person, potentially, one of the people least likely to succeed, (laughs) in some ways. And yet, if you knew Shiloh, her heart was so winsome, and she was so warm, and she was delight to be around. You're going, which way will she go? Well, a couple months ago, I'm Shiloh's Facebook friend, And here's what Shiloh had to say about herself. She put this tattoo on the side of her body, and I thought it was a beautiful thing when I read it. And she said this about herself. I myself am made entirely of flaws. Entirely. But I'm stitched together with good intentions. And what I love about the stitch work is that it's uneven. It's frayed. It's going to leave a scar. And it's that idea that says, you know, sometimes... We are the people with good intentions, but sometimes people are approaching us with their good intentions, and they are totally missing it or adding to our pain. And I would say this. Don't write each other off. We leave each other too quickly. And when that happens in our life, I would just say, okay, if your actions are hurting me, I'm going to look for the good in your intentions. And, uh, and that could be broken promises. That could be actions that hurt you that could be um, condemnation that isn't accurate, that could be false stories that they make up. Did you ever do the dot-to-dots when you were a kid? You know, and you do this dot, one, two, three, four, and all of a sudden you have a star, you know? Dot, 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 dot. All of a sudden you have a puppy, you know? Dot, dot, dot. And sometimes there's dots in our life, and other people will take it among themselves that they're going to connect our dots. Has that happened to you? It's happened to me so many times. Some guy's connecting the dots. Dot, 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 dot. And it's like, holy cow. That's not number four. That's number 10. And they come up with a picture that is totally wrong. The intentions were good. But the connections were off. So if you're that neighbor, I'd say trust the intentions even if the results, um, you know, suck. (laughs) And sometimes they do. I just shake my head. Now, in the midst of our lives, we open up then in terms of our hurt, if it's come in layers and people have hurt us, and especially this history. And understand this, that your intentions might be great and your heart might be so soft, but in a religious community, understand this, that you are not the first starting point of their experience in the community of faith. And a lot of us carry baggage, right? Of the hurts that go back. I would rather be sometimes with non-Christian people who are far more gracious how can, I, was, I even wonder about that. How can that even be? That those outside of the household of faith can be more gracious than those on the inside of it. But the reality is, is that sometimes in our lives, this, we carry this baggage. And it makes it very hard for us to open up. And so we're opening up a piece at a time. Give people a chance to do that. And sometimes we think we know it's best, but you know, we'll go and just pry the lid right off of them or try to in terms of this is what's going on with your life. And sometimes I need to have the ability to say, I love you no matter what, I'm in a relationship with you no matter what, and, uh, and I'm going to give you a chance to divulge your story to me. I'm going to make it safe for you, to, for you to speak to me. Now, here's what I would say. Assume hurt as you're approaching people that are, um, that, are maybe, uh, um, that have maybe have some actions that, that you think bear correction. Assume before you go after that preliminary issue that there's a deeper hurt. And as you do that, as you assume that they're hurt, for yourself, assume Jesus' heart for hurting people. Matthew 9.36 says this about Jesus and hurting people. When Jesus saw the crowds, this is what he had. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion means simply this it means to suffer with. He was taking on their pain. When he saw the people, he took on their pain, and this is what he saw not all their ill deeds, not all their wrong, not all their mistakes. Here's what his thought was they're harassed. It's like the wolves are coming at them, and they're in danger, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need somebody to gently guide them and to lead them. They're alone. They're helpless. They're vulnerable. He saw the vulnerability. And so there's this incredibly soft heart toward the masses. When you're approaching your wounded neighbor, what I would say about this is that you should check your heart at the approach. Am I coming to correct or am I coming to love? Am I coming angry at you, or am I coming gentle in spirit? Can I laugh and show delight in who you are? Can I find the good in who you are? And can you see that I genuinely care about you before I move to correction? His name was Pete. He's part of our congregation. And uh, he was on Facebook. And every chance he got, he was making comments about people Um, on their Facebook pages. It was all correction. Pete in the congregation got this great nickname that nobody wants. His nickname in the congregation was, oh, you've run into the Facebook Nazi. Everything for him was law, 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 and law. Everything about him was abuse, 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 abuse. He was out there stalking every single person in the congregation, including youth. My daughter was a victim of the Facebook Nazi. Oftentimes, I'm, I, I, I grab Pete and I go, why are you so harsh? And at one point in time, I grabbed Pete and I said, all right, I'm done. Come here. I know your story. And I've waited for you to tell me your story, but you never have but I have always treated you with grace and mercy, so let me tell you what your story is. Let me tell you how you came to our congregation and how I tried to make it a safe place for you to be. I know your story. Why are you so harsh? You don't know theirs. The amazing thing about Jesus is he knows our stories and he loves us anyway. And so I look at it and say, I want to reflect that heart, so I assume that they're hurt first, I'm not assuming that they want to be a rule breaker. I'm not assuming that they want to be this big sinner or anything like that. I'm assuming immense hurt. I know in my life where I've fallen off the wagon, it has been truly as a result of great pain. Great pain. Even my anger and my tendency toward it in past years was a result of immense pain. You know, For me, that was a defensive move against what? against hurt. And part of that is because I'm naturally a warrior. So the warrior is what do I do with pain or what do I do with attack? What do I do? I go to battle. I fight it. You know? And so for me, there as I've grown older, one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to say I'm stop, I, I've made a decision to say I'm not reaching for anger anymore. That's no longer going to be my tool. But I'm going to confess the pain and I'm going to reach for it. When I first started doing that, I thought it was going to break my heart. My heart was constantly hurting. I didn't realize how deep the hurt was so much that I could hardly, hardly function. Every moment of the day, it was there. How many of you have had a nagging injury? You know, um, I, when I came back from Afghanistan, my knees were all swollen and my Achilles tendons were, um, were swollen as well. Every step of the way that I took a step, it would hurt. When I was still and I wasn't moving, my legs hurt. If I think about it even now, everything's, everything's fine except for my right Achilles tendon. And if I think about it right now at the moment, yep, I can feel it. The pain is still there. Sometimes there's heart pain. We call it heartbreak. And the pain is constantly there. And so we will look in desperation for ways to get rid of that, for ways to circumvent it, for ways to make us feel whole for just once. And sometimes those directions bring us even greater soul damage. And so I'd say, As you're approaching people, assume hurt and assume Jesus' heart for the hurting. Check your heart at the approach. And now as you approach that neighbor, here's what I want you to assume. Assume defensiveness. Assume defensiveness and check yours at the door. Jesus does that with the woman at the well. She could have been utterly defensive. You don't think that other people were pointing fingers at her? But he gets under the fence with her. Don't you love the way he does it? He is laughing with her. He's bringing her in. She's poking him. You know. She's giving him a hard time. You know. And the way Jesus is hitting this is to say, you know what, I know that she's potentially going to be defensive. So I'm going to check my defensiveness at the door. I mean, she really tries to throw him off of his mark. You know, hey, you Jews say this. Man, those are fighting words between Jews and Samaritans. She totally tries to fight him, but he won't buy it. He won't take the bait. He won't become defensive. And what I would say is, check yours at the door. I love this text from Colossians and the way the message puts it. It says this, so those of you who are chosen by God for this new life of love, here's the way you should dress. Dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. And what's the wardrobe? Compassion and kindness and humility and quiet strength, discipline, Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. By the way, how quickly and completely did Jesus forgive you? That was a stunning thing, wasn't it? Instantaneous. And regardless of what else you put on, regardless of what else you put on, put on what? Put on love. It's your basic, all purpose garment. Never be without it. Or to quote the credit card commercial, never leave home without it. It's everywhere you want to be, right? Assume defensiveness and check yours at the door. And if I'm approaching people like this, then I can circumvent the defensiveness. At the very end of the day, you're going to go away knowing that you were loved that you are cared about, that you are believed in. Now that's the spirit. And sometimes we do need to speak truth into each other's life. There are people that I know that I call on my two-by-four people. They're willing to whack me over the head with a two-by-four. And some of us need it more than others, and sometimes I need a whole gang of two-by-four people. But to be a legitimate two-by-four people person for me, I need to be able to trust you I need to know that you love me. The Bible says this, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the what? Are the kisses of an enemy. I need to know that at the end of my whacking, that you are going to what? Love me. So many times on Facebook, somebody takes a whacking and guess what? They're automatically, you does this? Defriended. You know what? That's the way we are in the church too. Somebody gives me a whacking and it's like I'm the Facebook church defriended. I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore, you know, but I need sometimes to have these people that are saying, you know what? They're going to speak to me and they're going to hit me over the head, but they're going to love me. So how to do it? Here's how to do it. Remember, um, that you can return to the conversation. Sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to, uh, You know, I'm going to correct you and I'm going to do it all at once. How many of you had anybody have, have had somebody do that to you? You know, they basically just spew all over you everything that's wrong in your life. You know, there's this sense that says that for every negative, I need 10 positives, you know, and so all of a sudden somebody gives you not 10 negatives, but 20. Here they all are. And then they walk away going, well, I told them what Jesus needed them to know. I was prophetic voice in their life. Oh, all you left was a wounded brother or sister behind. Remember that you can return to the conversation. It doesn't have to happen all in one sitting. Test the spirit. Here is a line from scripture where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's peace. The moment they become defensive, back off. We're in community. I can come back on you again, right? I can think about another approach. I can, uh, I can start it that way. Ask yourself the question, is this your word or God's? Remember that you can ter- return to the conversation. Just remember it. Sorry, guys. I just lost my notes here for a moment. Now, here's what I would say is this. As you go, don't chicken out. Alright? You've made a decision. You know you've got to speak to somebody, right? Don't chicken out. And ask yourself the question in this, do I love my neighbor, do I love my friend enough to challenge them? And in the midst of challenge, we all ask ourselves the question, do I love them enough to stay in the relationship? Now, how do you do it? You do it the following way. You begin the conversation... And you, um, and you hit soft, and then hard, and then you reaffirm. So you sit down in the conversation, and you're basically saying, look, I love you, I care about you, and you don't come all out with that, I know what you did last night, you know? It might be, hey, I'm concerned about you, are you okay? It seems like maybe you're not doing very well right now. What's going on in your life? it gives them a chance to talk to you a little bit. Yeah, I saw that. You know, yeah, I see I sense some tension, you know, you know, in some of the relationships that I've seen. How's that going? You know, you hit soft and give them a chance to open up. But then in the midst of it, you may need to hit hard and direct, right? And so I'm not beating around the bush, but I let you know what a key issue is. Here it is. But I'm not giving you all of them. I'm choosing them one at a time, right? Because it's relationship and it's friendship, and I want you to know you can be trusted. So many times I'll look at people and they'll be struggling, and I'll say, hey, listen, you can tell me. I'm not sure how to say this. Well, just say it blunt. That's usually best is what I'll come back with. And then I'll say, look, no matter what, I'm going to care about you. No matter what, I'm going to love you. There's nothing, there's nothing that you can tell me that I haven't heard before. Every now and then, somebody will tell me something, and I'm thinking, "I haven't heard that one before." <laughs> but the promise is always there. I'm still going to love you and think the best of you as it as it comes out. And sometimes, at the end of the conversation, you know the way this works is, "I still love you. I'm still here." What was the worst that you thought was going to happen? That I was going to leave? It hasn't happened. The sky hasn't fallen on your head. Jesus still loves you. There's a power in. You know, there's a power in that. It's important on the back end that we're reaffirming. I had a pastor that I worked with for years. I was his associate. His name was Kurt Fredrickson. And and I would meet with him on a weekly basis. And he had this whole list on his computer. I can still see him on the other end of the desk, me on this end and him with his computer screen up. And he would go, hmm, look at something and say, "Uh, let's talk about this. I wouldn't see the screen you know, and uh, he would talk to me about it, and we would make the correction, and then he'd look at something and go, how about this? You know, and I could see him going down the screen, you know, and I knew there was more on the screen, you know, and so I was feeling okay, and I said, well, what else is on your screen? God bless Kurt. He'd say, nope, that's all for today. You know, what did he understand? I'm going to hit soft, I'm going to hit hard, I'm going to reaffirm, but I'm not going to overwhelm. One step at a time in terms of my mentoring of my younger brother. That's it. One piece at a time. I think for us, there's that spirit that says in our lives, I want to know what the pain is in your life, and I want to understand and think first and foremost, whatever's happened, that's probably where it's coming from, right? On the other hand, I'm just not going to leave you there because at some point in time, I want to speak truth into your life. But I have to also realize that you might not be able to take all the truth at one time. So I'm going to ramp it up a little bit at a time. And as you come to understand that I'm not like them, and we all know who the them is in our life, right? We've all had them. As As you understand that I'm not them, then slowly, slowly, bit by bit, layer by layer, you'll trust me. You'll understand that I'm safe. That I'm not going away. That I love you. And as I lay out that kind of grace for my neighbor, maybe, just maybe, they'll start to believe that a greater grace, which is the grace of Christ, is there for them. Let me give you this final word. I hand-wrote this uh, out in my Bible. It was a page from a letter, second century, Ignatius is uh, uh, the bishop of Antioch. He's the head pastor of the church in Antioch, and he's writing to Polycarp in the second century. And here's what he writes to this pastor. (coughs) He writes, stand your ground like an anvil under the hammer. A great athlete must suffer blows to conquer. And I love this line, and especially for God's sake, must we put up with everything so that he, that's God, will put up with us. (laughs) Isn't that a great line? Put up with everything so that God will put up with you. Show more enthusiasm than you do. Mark the times. Be on the alert for him who is above time, the timeless one, the unseen, the one who became visible for our sakes, who was beyond touch and passion or touch and suffering, yet who for our sake became subject to suffering and endured everything for us. So many times we stop the conversation too soon. So many times we're, uh, we're not moving forward, believing in people. So many times our suffering or the hurt we feel ends the conversation and we're done with this community. And so we go and we run to the next community where we repeat the pattern all over again. How much more healthy would we all be if we said, look, I'm, I'm enduring all things I'm staying in conversation with you. You hurt me in what you just said, but I know that your intentions were good. I'm trusting that. I hurt you. I didn't mean to. Um, I am aware of this in your life, but I love you anyway. That's not going to stop. How much different too, I imagine that as Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and says, I know you've had five husbands and the man you're with now isn't your husband. I don't think in his voice there was any condemnation, though normally that's the way the passage is read. He's just gone from huge playfulness, and it's all leading to this moment. I can't imagine that there's been all this playfulness and winsomeness and back and forth for there to be anything but tenderness as he says, I know you and your story. And the result for her is A sense of trust. She leaves her jar, right, at the well, fully intending to return, but heading into the town where all the finger pointers were and saying, I just met this guy who knows me. Everything I've done. Is it possible that he is the Messiah? Her response to Jesus, by the way, when he tells her this, is, I sense that you're a prophet. What is a prophet? one who speaks the word of God. For her in that moment, there wasn't condemnation. There was something holy about her in his presence. Same goes for us. When we approach our neighbors understanding and looking first for the deep hurt, all of a sudden that place becomes the starting point for healing, for wholeness, and for the church the way it was meant to be. Stand your ground on that like an anvil under the hammer. And put up with everything. Remembering that Jesus is still, thank God, putting up with you. (laughs) Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning, for this time that we've had to be together. I would ask truly that you would bless us as we move forward. Bless us to to remember that you understand our hurts. And God, some of us probably, if... If everything that we've done were to be confessed in this moment, we'd be in shock. But you're not in shock, God. You already know and have forgiven the whole thing. You know the path that has led us down to wherever it is that we find our hearts today. Lord, as we approach one another, would you remind us to have your heart, to assume your heart for people, which is simply this. No matter what it is, it's already known to our Father who's in heaven. No matter what's been done, the Spirit is already coursing through it and the Son has paid the price for it. No matter what's been done, that's it. And as far as the East is from the West, so far has it been removed or wants to be removed. That's it. And when those things are true, God, remind us that now we have a chance to have your tender heart. People hurting no matter what. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen.